We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Oh, how are you, my friends? Welcome back to another audio adventure here on Insight. I'm CVV Chris Van Vliet. So good to have you back with us on this one. And let me just say a huge thank you to you for making January such a big month for the podcast and also the YouTube channel. We just hit 30,000 subscribers on the CVV Clips channel, where we post the most interesting and memorable clips from these interviews. And 305,000 subscribers on the main Chris Van Vliet YouTube channel. Just so grateful that you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. And I appreciate you being with me. I appreciate you being on this journey. And I appreciate Jonathan Kendall being with us for this one. He is a brilliant entrepreneur. And I love this idea that we talk about during this conversation. It's the zone of genius and how you can stay in it. You are going to get a ton out of this. Give him a follow on social media at Jonathan.Kendall on Instagram, and you can connect with me if you haven't already. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Our fan of the week is Jay Zeus4, who says, Woo, this is awesome. You're the man. Keep them coming. Well, please keep these reviews coming. I read one on every single episode from Apple Podcasts. If you have an iPhone, please take a second to just leave a few words, and I will shout you out on the show for free. Just hit 2,200 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So let's keep that going. Spotify has ratings now. So if you are a Spotify listener, please give us a listen on there. All right, let's dive into this. Please welcome Jonathan Kendall. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Look at this beautiful courtyard that we're in right now. I love this. Yeah, it's nice. I'm outside in Puerto Rico. Uh, amazing. The thing that fascinates me about you, Jonathan, is the fact that you've learned how to learn. And that sounds really simple saying that, but I think a lot of people don't ever do that in their life. I think for a lot of people, the learning ends when school ends, but like you're like a student for the rest of your life. And I love this. Yeah, I get asked this a lot at various panels or you know, at events. People ask me, what is the one thing, you know, if you could only do one thing, what would you do? And I always say, uh, become obsessed with learning, becoming a learning machine, you know, the, the sharpen the saw. And 
you know, I just read a book interesting. Well, I'm always reading a book, but the last one of the last books I read um, uh, was called The Price of Tomorrow. And the punchline at the end is actually about cryptocurrency and AI technology, kind of like big macroeconomic trend book. But it, le- it starts with this really cool thought experiment. And I think it makes this point really well. He asked the, the experiment, imagine you had a piece of paper, a piece of notebook, and you fold the piece of paper one time. Now it's twice as thick. Hmm. Right? You fold the paper again, now it's four times as thick. You fold the paper again, it's eight times as thick. Right? And if you could, it's there's not a piece of paper that exists that's this big. But in theory, mathematically, if you could fold a piece of paper 50 times, how tall do you think that would be or how thick would and the average guess is uh, like two feet. And my guess is like one meter. Some people will guess like Empire State Building. But the answer is it would reach the sun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is, was literally kind of, I remember coming back from, I always listen to an audiobook while I'm on the run. I came back and immediately I told my wife this thought experiment. And I said, I feel like this just changed my life because mm-hmm. I didn't really understand the compound effect. And we can't really understand the compound effect. We try the human brains or uh, there's just something we can't. That's why we do logarithmic scale, you know, when we're looking at uh, investments because exponential just doesn't make any sense. And that's how I think about learning. So if I am learning 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, I'm staying on the cutting edge of software. I'm staying on the cutting edge of what's happening in the market. I'm staying on the cutting edge of what's happening in social media. And you're not. You know, even if I'm only getting 1% better every day in three, four, five, ten 10 years, it's going to be very difficult to compete with me and my team. And so that's how I Have you always been this way or did something happen or shift in your life a little bit later on where you went, oh man, I, I should probably catch up? <laughs> I think it's a comp. I don't think you can teach ambition very well. So I've always been really ambitious and I've always been a big dreamer. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I used to say president of the United States, right? I would always have these like massive goals. And I think that that, but I'm also very kind of an engineer brain. And so I would walk back that to reality and say, okay, well, how would I get there? Whatever the goal is, what would that be? And if, if you, you know, it's like, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. And so you ask yourself, what's the, what's the next thing that I have to do? And I got really good at, just being okay with the next thing. But then what ends up happening is that you reach a plateau of your ability. And so then the only way to get to the next level, you know, to beat the boss at the end of the video game, you know, is to level up, is to learn something new, is to become more powerful, to acquire another skill. And the only way to do that is to learn. And so, you know, I thought like kind of the oil underneath all of this growth uh, to get where I want to go was, you know, learning quickly, which creates a new problem because then you have to deal with your own insecurity. You have to fail in order to learn. It's part of the cycle of, you know, Cal Newport talked about this, like deliberate practice, right? Is part of the cycle of deliberate practice is being aware very quickly of what you did wrong and then trying to improve it. And so if you're scared of, uh, of, of not facing the mirror of your own inadequacies while you're learning, it can be very difficult to learn. So there's a lot of psychology involved. When you set an ambitious goal as a kid that I want to be the president of the United States, do you actually want to be the president of the United States or you just <laughs> want to set like an unattainable, huge goal? My wife has vetoed that. 
recently. Um, <laughs> but uh, my current one is to win the Nobel Prize of Literature. And so wow. that's sort of an, that's, that's an equivalent so far away and so big. It's, it's on purpose. I, I, I like these goals because psychologically, then I don't feel the day-to-day pressure, right? So I can, I can continue to grind, and I know that it, you know, Steinbeck didn't win it until he was in his 60s, and Hemingway didn't win it until he was in his 60s. Uh, you know, so it, it gives me uh, emotional distance from the goal. Uh, so I'm okay with failing in the short term, but it also is big enough that it forces me to be you know, ambitious and not take it easy uh, because in order to get there, it's going to take, you know, everything you got for 40 years. How many books do you read, let's say in a week? And how many are you reading at a time? Uh, usually two or three at a time. And I'm usually reading two or three a week. I, I read a lot of nowadays, less now than I did when I was the CEO of Metrobox because, you know, I had to for, for the job. And I couldn't just read it. I had to really understand it because I would be on camera with the author. And so I'd have to be able to play tennis with them intellectually and, and be able to, especially some of the authors are introverted and they're authors. They're not gregarious speakers. And yeah. so, uh, you, you know, I have to kind of pull out from them a good story from the book that maybe extemporaneously because they were nervous, they couldn't remember or whatever. But nowadays, yeah, two or three a week. Um, and, I'm always reading something that is not business related at night to kind of calm my brain down. It does very on purpose. And then in the mornings during my runs, I usually run a five or 10 K in the morning as part of my morning routine. And I'll listen to an audiobook at 1.5 or 2 X and a narrator. Um, so, you know, that gets the equivalent of an hour to two hours of reading every, every morning. And wow. that will always be some business related or success, you know, success principles or, or something like that. I know a book that we have both read that I know spoke a lot to me and I think really helped to change and shape who you are is Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek. Can you kind of speak to how that book really affected your life? Yeah, that book was absolutely life-changing. I remember specifically the the drive. I, I, when I say I read books, I, I generally listen to audiobooks. Um, you consume weekends. books. Yeah, exactly. I consume books. Um, which I have a strong opinion that that's not cheating because, in fact, like oratory and the way that we told stories way back when was uh, auditory. Like, mm. there's a reason why you know, for thousands of years everything was passed down without people being literate. So I think that this. You know, hyper intellectualism of I have to read the book, otherwise it doesn't count. Actually. Yeah, ironically, anti biology. But, anyways, my, my point is, I uh, that the, the four hour work week, I remember the drive when I was, I was traveling to visit a friend of mine, wives in Toronto, and uh, we were on this long road trip from New Hampshire to Toronto and like, going up through Buffalo. And we listened to that book the entire time. And a couple of years later, I moved to Mexico to. Uh, arbitrage the U.S. dollar to peso translation, like he does in the very beginning of the book when he was in Argentina and he yeah. had a supplement company and he was living off of Argentinian pesos at the time. And so I said, I can do this. I've always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to be a copywriter. I want to be, uh, you know, kind of a freelancer and live that backpacker lifestyle. And before that, you know, I had dabbled in fiction writing, restaurant, things. So I wanted 
long-term pro, like Stephen Presto said. And that, I thought, was the really the best opportunity for it. So I took that for our work week idea and literally implemented it, moved to Guadalajara, Mexico, and uh, you know, was able to start my freelance copywriting career, which eventually moved into you know, full-time copywriting, which moved into digital marketing, which moved into entrepreneurship. And, you know, that, which leads into where you are right now. I mean, what, what is it that you're doing right now? What's the day-to-day look like for you? Yeah, I have two two companies that I'm uh, day to day involved in. You know, both of my companies. One raises capital, it's called Deal Raise. Uh, so we've raised about 140 million dollars over the last couple of years. So we connect accredited investors with with entrepreneurs that are doing raises. Um, and then I also have an outsourcing digital marketing agency called Virtual Worker Now, and we have 400 employees and we provide digital marketing services e-commerce stores and uh, the back end for various agencies. So copywriting, video editing, social media, ad buying, funnel building, all of that. Kind of and I think the best part about the latter business there is that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have a really difficult time delegating tasks. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like, well, I, I can do this and this and this and this and this and this. And I heard this from somebody else who said that early on as an entrepreneur, you're willing to spend time in order to save money. And then as you get going, you're willing to spend money in order to save time. A hundred percent. That's absolutely true. Um, you know, you have to go into your zone of genius at some point and it's hard, it takes humility. It also takes, I think, ambition. And so you have to be, I think a lot of Gary Vee talks about this, you know, self-awareness, right? It's like the super is being self-aware to know, would it make sense for me to have to wear these seven hats if I really want to scale to a unicorn or nine figures or even a high eight figure? At some point, you become an HR an HR company and you become a coach and a consultant for your own executives and your own management. And that's really all you do. You're a cheerleader. You know, you're a salesperson. Or you stay on the cutting edge of what's happening in the market. But mostly, you're an internal consultant for your own team. And you make you know a couple of decisions a quarter that that maximize you know hopefully seeing around the bend and, and staying on the cutting edge. But um, yeah, you in the weeds. I, I tell this to you know my uh, my CEO you know of the outsourcing company. I say you know your job is to really just make decisions and, and coach the other executives and coach the managers. And you know if you find yourself like in Excel or you find yourself like clicking and click up and like changing you know something click up. Uh, you have to ask yourself, am I the only person in the company that can do this? Mm. And probably the answer is no. So, yeah. you know, a lot of it is just getting out of your own way. If someone's looking to start a business, what would you say are like the three pieces of the best advice that you'd pass along to them? Uh, I would say step one is really understand your unique value proposition. So if you can't articulate to yourself, even if it's, you know, really terrible brainstorming in a journal, you know, at some point you have to be able to articulate what is the problem that I solve for whom and why should they buy my solution versus all my competitors. And if you can't articulate, you know, your niche or, or your particular, uh, you know, competitive advantage, then no one should buy your product, right? And you have to ask, it's kind of existential. It's this, you know, kind of purpose of your business, purpose of your life question. And if you can't answer that question, then don't even make the product, don't even make the service because you're not really contributing anything new. It's kind of like when you get a PhD, you have to 
your thesis has to be something that no one else has done, which is why you know you get these people that are studying like this one microbe in this one lake in this one part of Michigan, you know, and they did their entire PhD thesis on it because you know you have to be you know niche of niche of niche of niche, and you have to be able to articulate that right one and then two is I would say really get obsessed with um, getting your first sale. You know, don't like it's fine to say I want to win the Nobel Prize and I want to have a unicorn. But what am I going to do today? And the next thing that you need to do is you need to make one sale and see if you can actually do it, right? You can make 10. If you can make one, you can make two. If you can make two, you can make 10. 10, you can make 100, right? And then new problems will come at scale. But, you know, one, is my product worth, worth it at all? Is my service worth it at all? Two, can I make one sale? And the answer to two, can I make one sale? is number three, obsessing over your point of sale. So this, your point of sale is often just your funnel or your way of collecting money. If it's a brick and mortar shop, you know, hey, come to my store. If it's a e-commerce store or a coaching program or whatever it may be, if, there has to be some point where someone can give you money. And I think the most uh, stereotypical version of this is artists. And our artists are terrible at this. Because they're creative and they have this product and it's necessarily unique, generally, because they're an artist and it came from their brain. So they created something. Yeah. So check that off the box. That's good. And now, two, can I sell it? Oftentimes, it's because they don't have a Shopify store or they don't have a piece of art on a t-shirt or they don't have it. There's no way to actually sell it. So whenever I talk to artists, I say, well, where do I buy? How do I give you money? Like, where do I click? Do I PayPal you? Do I Venmo? Like, where is the point of sale? And this is obviously very beginner, but when people are really starting to, to get a business, don't overlook that box. You know, like create a basic ClickFunnels store, a basic Shopify store, just so that you can get that first sale. You feel the emotional intensity of it. You might have to white glove the customer support for that first buyer, and that's okay because that's what you do. I did all the customer support for MentorBox for the first couple months. You know, even though I eventually became the CEO, that's a part of it. Um, so I would say those three things when we're starting. Yeah. When you talk about MentorBox, it's so fascinating to me that you went from being a copywriter there to basically what you were, you were running the company. So yeah. what were some of the biggest things you learned from working your way up from the bottom to the top? I would say you have to think about it. In, in two two things. One is be like customer obsessed, which is not new. It's you know, Jeff Bezos is to really be obsessed with the product, obsessed with the end consumer, obsessed with, uh, giving value, right? So not not waking up and thinking, what can I do for myself? How much money can I make? You know, what is the um, how do I feel about it? Like you have to be get out of your own head and really be. I'm going to give more value to the world. That will then, I think, often result in you being more ambitious. A lot of people who are intrapreneurs that start in a company, a startup, or even a big corporation, if, if everyone else is worried about me, 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 and the politics of the company, what's going on with me, and, and how you know, the boss feels about me, that's not, the op- that's not what you should optimize. If you're optimizing for giving more value to the world than everyone else in your company, what's going to happen is that eventually the powers that be, and if you're in a toxic company, then leave the company. But if you're in a company that really does reward merit, then what's going to happen is that's going to be seen as ambition. And then you're going to get an opportunity. And that opportunity 
is often not going to be immediately rewarded with a next uh, rung on the ladder, you know, or even more money. They're going to say, they're going to test you. Well, okay, so you did copywriting, but could you also build a website? Could you also hire the graphic designer? Do you think that you could write the macros for customer support? That's not generally what copywriters do, right? And your ego part of you might, might push back on that and say, well, you know, that wasn't in my job description and I'm not going to do that unless I get this bonus or unless I renegotiate. And it's a little bit of a leap of faith, but if you're in a, in a company that really doesn't support, you know, meritocracy over time, you'll prove yourself. And this you know, has, has a lot to do with, again, coming full circle learning because you don't know that software yet. You don't know what that is, but you say, okay, I'm going to go to the diner, you know, from 1am to 3am and drink coffee and watch tutorials and I'm going to figure it out. So then the next day I have this, right. And so I can give more value to more people. So I think those are the two things is like, um, one being customer obsessed and then two yeah. being ambitious enough to know that you in the long run, if you're working for the right company, you'll eventually get the offer. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What would you say is the best piece of advice that someone has given you, whether this is personally or professionally, the best piece of advice along your journey? I think that it wasn't, I mean, I had the privilege of meeting him, um, which was amazing, but he first gave me this piece of advice through the form of a book, um, is Ryan Holiday, is uh, The Obstacle is the Way. And I think that people really don't understand the power of this. He's known as, you know, originally known as this marketer guy, and then he's now known as like a stoic guy. But mm -hmm. in the beginning, the, the book that really set him off was The Obstacle is the Way, which I think is the most powerful like sub lesson of stoicism, which is that whenever you have a problem, this is Elon Musk, you're paid in direct proportion of the difficulty of the problems you solve. When you have a problem, instead of thinking about it as, or Ed Milet says, you know, this happened for me, not to me, right? Um, this idea of really turning an obstacle on its head and being 
like excited about it. it is it literally is the way it's the way right like so whenever there whenever if things are coasting and everything's running smoothly like okay that's fine and then when i feel man things are really tough right now things are really tough right i feel stressed there's you know some problem with an executive you know this uh client cancel you know things kind of feel like they're all falling apart all at the same time that to me is the most exciting part of entrepreneurship because now i feel like i can really earn my freedom i can earn my 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 responsibility in society i can earn my patience because if it's all easy then it's all easy you know mm. so i i enjoy that that the moments of stress and it took a long time of brainwashing myself to to it's like it's like at the end of a video game level when the boss arrives right you're yeah. it's like yeah it's more stressful but it's also more exciting because if you beat this you're going to be at the next level so that i think is the most powerful i feel like i feel like sometimes we're just living in a video game like i don't know yeah for sure is this real life or is this a simulation i'm just not sure i don't know either I think you've given some great advice for people who want to be entrepreneurs. I'm just so curious to know, Jonathan, should everybody want to be an entrepreneur? No. Hmm. I would say that I, I've studied, you know, before I came, became copywriting, you know, like a lot of copywriters, I wanted to be a writer, you know, a, a novelist and, you know, fiction writer and storyteller, screenplay writer. And, that sort of thing. and so I've studied story structure and the hero's journey and, Hero salvation and all that, and I think that it. Everyone's going to have a hero's journey. Everyone's going to have a purpose. Everyone's going to do something, whether you are choosing to do it or you're passively, you're not choosing. You nonetheless, you still are making an impact every single day. And I think again, it's back to self awareness. It just you know, if it requires journaling about it or trying a lot of things when you're younger because you don't know yet, and that's fine. But starting with you know, where is my goal? Where is my North Star? And there's archetypes, right? That's another part of storytelling is that you know, Carl Jung talked about this, where there's you know, the very ar archetype or uh, Some people use like the Myers-Briggs or other people use astrology or whatever it may be. There's a lot of ways of approaching it. But the idea is that you are, uh, you are a type generally. And I think that in society, there has to be the, the nurse type. Like I'm not the nurse type. I'm not an empath you know i might be the opposite of an empath and more of an engineer brain and then i apply that to like human systems which i think mm. is, you know why i'm an entrepreneur and a leader but that's i think my brain is organized in a very particular way and if everyone was like me then you know there would be no one there would be no doctor there'd be no because i don't i'm not as good at the one-on-one -on -one. i'm more as like the the general systems engineer and so in one way, I think I'm lucky that society, uh, in, in the way that we keep score in terms of money, rewards kind of my way of like building large scale systems. But that doesn't mean that we don't really need doctors and nurses and, and lawyers and all that kind of stuff. So there's no wrong way of living. You just got to be aware of what you want and then just, you know, dig into that. Yeah. And I think it's about being true to yourself. Like you mentioned self awareness. And I think that if, you don't belong in that lane and you don't feel like you belong in that lane. Well, maybe you shouldn't be in that lane. hundred percent. There's no, there's no wrong. I, I, I say this to my team. There's, 
like two major rules, right? So you have your value structure rules, the core values. And as long as you're aligning with your, so, you know, if our core values are something like the opposite of white, that can apply to being the best dad, right? Yeah. And it, all your core values will apply to any anything that you want. If they're first principles, if they're fundamental, right? Um, and then also we have the laws of physics. So, so to me, if it doesn't if it doesn't break your core values, and it doesn't break the laws of physics, then go to it, right? And but whatever the to it is, whatever that north star is, whatever the flag is at the end, is up to you and your path and your journey and your community's path and your family's path and you know whatever it may be. Um, but I would say that here's one little caveat. One caveat is I think a lot of people limit themselves. This is why. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. The chapter one is belief, mm. and I think the I think that's really powerful. The reason why it's belief is because if you limit yourself prior to choosing that north star, then you're not being honest with yourself. You're saying this is what I think is realistic, and yeah. then drawing back relative to that realistic. But that's going to cause a lot of stress and depression and anxiety and like subconscious worry um which is why this just goes back to is it against my core values does it is it physically possible then okay let's those are the only things that matter uh, yeah after that let's just be honest what do you really want yeah look you were the former ceo of mentorbox i think everybody can agree it's really important to have mentors in your life to help guide you but i think there's a lot of people that would say I'd love to have a mentor. Where do I start? How do I find one? So I have this uh, very strong opinion that at, that you have to guard that the what you put into your brain. You have to guard um, the energy, if you will, that you know you allow into your sphere. And the I would say you start with anchors start deleting anchors and in, in toxicity and also start following people that are where you want to be and even if you don't know them you can i mean now it's easier than it's ever been in the history of the world right so yeah. um you got to ask yourself who is in my life who is in my feed who am i listening to on youtube like when you go to youtube.com the first videos that you see will tell you a lot about you. and if you if you're honest about your goal and you say, this is who I want to be. And now ask yourself, is what I'm consuming, you know, on YouTube and the people I'm following on Instagram, the people I'm following on TikTok, is this brainwashing myself to become this most, you know, purposeful version of myself? And yeah. most of the time the answer is no. So I would say, you know, cutting out the stuff that's um, just absolute noise and it's actually making you a worse person and taking you away from your goal, cutting all of that toxicity, including who you follow, including what you listen to, including what you watch, um, including your friend group, including family, even if they're toxic, like no offense, but if you have a great purpose in your life, then you, know, you shouldn't let anything stop you. And, and then simultaneously, yeah, I, I use this thought experiment. Like if I was going to learn, uh, I was going to learn fencing. Sure. Okay, so what I an example, by the way. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what my guess is, and I don't know this for a fact, but I would bet 
I'd bet everything on this, that there are books about fencing and there are videos on fencing and there are instructors you know, on fencing. And I bet that those people are like Olympic medalists, is my guess, or or coaches of Olympic medalists. You know, yeah. so you have access to these people already. And so I think that it's a it's a false dichotomy, and it's actually like a, a, a an unnecessary excuse to say, well, I don't have, I'm not personally being mentored by Gary Vee, so you know, woe is me. How am I going to do anything? Like, like, well, have you read all of his books first? Have you can have you watched all these long form podcasts and not just the, you know, dopamine of TikTok? Like, have you really dug in? And then when he gives some advice, do you have a notebook open and you're practicing? Have you turned it into homework that you're going to try in real life? Have you said, well, why did I fail? Oh, I failed because of this. And then did you try to acquire that skill? It's just a lot of it is just being conscious. And it's difficult. It's difficult to master anything and to, to face you know, the reality of your own inadequacy, because the, the, the reality is that we're all bad at nearly 99.99%. I don't know anything like this chair that I'm sitting in. Like, I know absolutely nothing about how to build this chair. I know absolutely nothing about how this magic, um, you know, headphones work. I don't know. I don't understand electricity. Yeah. I don't know how to make a light. I don't like, every, like, if you just, if I'm just honest with myself, I don't know anything about basically anything, right? And that doesn't make me a bad person. It just means that I've like, I'm focused and I specialize in the thing that I want to specialize in. And so if you come upon something where you're like, Hey, I want a mentor for this and I've tried it and I've tried it and I'm not that good at it. Like, no kidding. Welcome to the club of humanity, you know? And but I would also think that if you, if you went after it, you'd be better in a month than you are now. And then you'll be better six months from now than you are now. Yeah, I, I heard um, Naval Ravikan, who's the founder of AngelList, he said that all success literature and all nonfiction literature, which I kind of like hurt my soul because of like, why am I reading all of it? But he's, he's right. He said it all is summarized in one idea, which is successful people are good at delayed gratification. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, going back to that whole thing about like, I don't know how headphones work or a microphone works or anything, <laughs> there was a comedian that had a bit that was like, what would we do if all the people who made that stuff just disappeared? Like if I, if I send you out into the woods with a hatchet, how long till you can send me an email? And I was like, yeah, like never. Uh, like 5,000 generations. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, literally. Like if you, you would have, first you'd have to have a mate and you'd be like, wait, how do we create fire again? You know, it would just, <laughs> it would, yeah, you'd start from scratch. 100%. What is your favorite quote, or is there a quote you always go back to? You know, I kind of made up this quote, and this, and I don't, or, or, or I don't know if it's, uh, I, I'm sure I read it somewhere, but um, there's always another level. Mm. This is like a mantra that I tell myself all the time so that I've, I'm never complacent. Because the truth is that I have, you know, I'm already at the 1% and, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for you know everything that uh, I have and have been given. But I also know, you know, the, the little Jonathan that I want to be president. When people would ask me that question, you know, my answer wasn't, I want to be president because I want to 
have power and have people like me and I like cameras and you know that wasn't that wasn't my answer. My answer was I think that that person has the most influence in the world. And so therefore they can do the most good. Yeah. It goes back to this idea of responsibility. So for me, whenever I feel like, okay, we have, you know, 400 employees and, and, you know, we're paying, they're paying rent for their families and, and, you know, we're the, the downstream effect of, you know, the butterfly effect of everything that we're doing is reaching tens of thousands of people. Um, I think, okay, good. You did your best. You did well. That was good. There's another level. Mm, I love that. And that pushes me the next step. And I think it's also important to realize that once you get to the, uh, that next level, you're now at level one of that next level. Exactly. A hundred percent. Absolutely. That's really obvious with wealth where you think that you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you're doing all right. And then you go into a room. Like I went to uh, Dan Fleischman's uh, hundred million mastermind and you know, it's a hundred thousand dollar ticket. And you know, there's some, people that have had a billion dollar exits or close to billion dollar exits and you realize like, oh wow, there's you know, there's another level here and everyone's yeah. taking a private jet in and so uh, I mean that's just money, it's an easy way of keeping forward, but there's another level to everything. That's like forgiveness is a, another one that's really hard. Yeah. Like, very hard to be quickly forgiven. But all of the great books say that it's you know core value. Like, all of the great religions are like, hey, you know, the most enlightened people can forgive the people that were the harshest. And that's very, very difficult. So, you know, when you're put the anger of the judge and you say, okay, I'm going to forgive them anyway, so that's another level of that. It depends, you know, but it, it applies to so many things. I like. Yeah. Looks like you're getting caught in a rainstorm right now. I'm so sorry. Yeah, 100%. Oh, well, we have just a few more questions before we wrap this up, but thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. It's been so insightful and i really appreciate you sharing this with us what are three books that you most often gift to people um the obstacle is the way by ryan holiday okay this is water by david foster wallace which is a very short read, and I recommend everyone just YouTube it, and it's actually a speech. Uh, yes, book. it's brilliant. Uh, and Atomic Habits by James Clear is probably my favorite book of the last five years. Yeah, that idea of what you were talking about earlier of just getting 1% better every day and that compounding on itself, that book is basically based on that whole idea. The final question... Year, this year... The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Okay. All right. Well, that'll be my next one then. The final question that I have for you is about gratitude. And I'm all about gratitude. I start and end every day saying out loud three things that I'm grateful for. So Jonathan, for you, what are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now? I always start with my wife. You know, she's deals with me on a day-to-day basis and it's very difficult to deal with someone who's uh, so driven and I'm very focused and very difficult to me, push me off my path so I don't have a lot of uh, flexibility so she's she's number one I would say uh, number two I think 
you know, my employees with everything that, you know, exists in my life based off of, you know, my and I think third is, you know, really just the infinite gift that we have of just being alive. It's just yeah. so unlikely. You know, Gary V talks about this. It's like, you know, one out of, you know, whatever, some number that we can't even comprehend. But we could have been born as a table or some gas cloud somewhere. You know, we're all made of the same mm-hmm. stuff. So the fact that we're organized in this way is just a privilege. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you can get inside where it's a little bit more dry there, but thank you. Where can anyone find you if they want to connect with you? Um, if you want to work with me, go to virtualworkernow.com. Um, and you know, we provide a lot of services that people can talk with. And then I'm mostly on Instagram, jonathan.pendler. Perfect. Jonathan, thank you so much. there we go, my friends. Big thank you to Jonathan for the conversation. And I feel like I have a whole bunch of new books that I have to read. Also, thank you to him for sticking it out in that rainstorm, which is what you were hearing there at the end. It was coming down like crazy. Connect with him on social media. He's at Jonathan.Kendall on Instagram. You can find me at Chris Van Vliet. And I hope that you find that zone of genius for yourself. I'll leave you with the words of the great Marcus Aurelius, who said, the happiness of your life depends upon the quality of your thoughts. Mm, I love that. Be great. Be grateful, my friends. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.